Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics of interest. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening to this on, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at www.occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, I'd love to hear from them, so please reach out via Facebook or on email. I'd love to answer any questions you might have about the podcast or any of the subjects we discuss. Um, You can find my Facebook on the show notes or alternatively email at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. In today's episode, we will be discussing ideas of energy work, the chakras, and also um, beginnings of the middle pillar exercise in relation to inner work and magic. Energy work is at the root of our, or features in most esoteric systems, and although it's got many different names, so, you know, it's odic force, prana, chi, organ, energy. Basically, what we're talking about is this sort of subtle energies that permeate matter. As magicians and occult practitioners, we reach up into the invisible and draw down the energy into ourselves so that, in effect, we are alchemically changing the makeup of our deepest self this idea is behind the phrase to inflame oneself with prayer and also behind the concept of vibrating holy names or imagining the chakras flooding ourselves with light we're literally flooding the physical with light and this kind of divine power whilst also seizing the crown of godhood Mark Stavish has written an excellent article on this uh, titled The Secret Fire, the relationship between Kundalini, Kabbalah and alchemy. And I just wanted to put a quick quote from him in here. In the Western esoteric practices, there is an apparent knowledge gap regarding the role of esoteric practices and their effects on the subtle and not so subtle bodies of practitioners. In the East, All practices, whether designated as such or not, are designed to awaken the semi-dormant energy resident in all creation, and living beings in particular. This energy is known as Kundalini, the serpent fire and the dragon, depending on tradition. Extreme care has been taken, despite contradictions between systems, to chart the effects of exercises on this latent energy and how it flows through the physical, emotional and psychic body, at what stages and in relation to which exercises. Such a detailed analysis is lacking in modern Western esotericism. And that's a quote from Mark Stavish. Um, If we look at modern Kabbalists, the most common introduction to kind of ceremonial magic and also this energy work is is our exercises like the lesser ritual of the pentagram and the middle pillar exercise Um, and in this in this particular episode we'll mainly be focusing on some of the energy work around the 
the middle pillar and its relation to the eastern chakra system. Um, in later episodes, I will also be doing an episode on the lesser balancing ritual of the pentagram and also just an overall overview of banishing in general. So let's have a look at the different systems. So the most common words for these energy centers and how our personal energy interacts with the energy system is the word chakras, which is describing energy centers in the body. The relationship of these energy centers in our body is described by Arthur Avalon in his book Serpent's Power as the follow, following. The chakras are the bodily centers of the world of differentiated manifestation with its gross and subtle bodies arising from their causal body and its threefold planes of existence in waking, sleeping and dreamless slumber. And that's from the, Sl- the Serpent's Power, which is a very old book, and we'll be talking about that later on. Also, um, Anodia Judith, in her famous book, Wheels of Life, describes the following. Chakras are organising centres for the reception, assimilation and transmission of life energies. Our chakras as core centres form the coordinating network of our complicated mind-body system. From instinctual behaviour to consciously planned strategies, from emotions to artistic creations. The chakras are the master programmes that govern our life, loves, learning and illumination. As seven vibratory modalities, the chakras form a mythical rainbow bridge, a connecting channel linking heaven and earth, mind and body, spirit and matter past and future. As we spin through the tumultuous times of our present era, the chakras act as gears, turning the spiral of evolution, drawing us ever onward towards the still untapped frontiers of consciousness and its infinite potential. The body is a vehicle of consciousness. Chakras are the wheels of life that carry this vehicle about through its trials, tribulations and transformations. To run our vehicle smoothly, we need an owner's manual, as well as a map that tells us how to navigate the territory our vehicle can explore. And Christopher Tompkins from his excellent book, Harish.org, also said the following, which I thought was quite interesting. In the tantric traditions from which the concept derives, Chakras are focal points for meditation within the human body, visualised as structures of energy resembling discs or flowers. At those points where a number of nadis, channels or meridians, converge. They are conceptual structures, yet are phenomenologically based. Since they tend to be located where human beings experience emotional and or spiritual energy and since the form in which they are visualized reflects visionary experiences had by meditators and that's from christopher wallace um, harish.org although this energy that is within us is often deemed as imaginary there's all there's various different techniques in place to work with it the centres of these power are 
meant to be based in these different points of energy or gathering points of energy which are known as chakras which is Sanskrit for wheels and it essentially signifies a point of concentration and also a sort of movement of energy as well as energy centers they're also meant to represent a spiritual journey from earth up to godhood which is why the whole um, network of the chakras within the human body is, is sometimes known as the rainbow bridge the most common application of the chakra system involves the belief in the use of prana, which is breathing forth, which is the universal life force accessed through the breath. And it's meant to circulate through 72,000 nadis or channels which are within the human body. The most common of these is the central column of energy, which is known as the shashumna or the way of liberation, which goes through the center. On either side of this central column, we have the Ida and the Pingala channels, which represent feminine and masculine energy um, to the left and right of the central column. And coiling around it from the base of the spine to the third eye um, is this energy that's kind of end, it rises in a serpentine pattern that ends the nostrils. The chakras are normally located at the intersections of the Ida and the Pingala. Whilst so that's the first six, whilst the seventh chakra is at the the crown of the head, um, and they're traditionally meant to kind of exist in this subtle etheric body rather than in our physical body, but are also meant to represent and to correspond to the ganglia of the spine. The chakras are meant to be affected by any disturbances we have in life. However, they are very much strengthened by meditation and magical work as well, and also devotional work. So things like prayer, um, you know, visualization, things like that. The the chakras will be strengthened by that. So here we have this idea of this energy that flows from the base chakra up to the crown chakra, which is kind of described as a liberating current because it represents the flow of energy from physical reality which is known as prakrititi to limitless consciousness which is known as samadhi apologies for my poor pronunciation this is called the kundalini shakti in the tantric texts and refers to the serpent power that's meant to reside in the state of potency at the base of the root chakra and then it rises up and through various different meditation techniques, we can awaken this serpent, which can then bring about a state of purification and self-realization. An alternative concept with regards to Kundalini is this: is the idea that it represents blockages that need to be released in order for the prana to rise. So the you know the idea that almost like that we are already perfected, but there is almost like stabilizers. Um, on our wheels that prevent us from going faster but um, if we can overcome those blockages then the energy is released and we are floating into the stars <clears throat> in addition to the liberating and freedom current flowing up um, from the root chakra we also got this manifesting current that flows downwards from the crown through to the root chakra um, so obviously one of these currents takes us from 
this state of pure consciousness, which in the Kabbalah would be corresponding with like Heta, um, or even beyond that, down through a concrete manifestation. And, and then there's obviously this other um, liberating force that goes from the other side, which is to, is essentially taking us back up there. And these are, yeah, a kind of really good way of explaining this kind of relationship between body and consciousness and, and spirit and matter. Although we don't really have these kind of Cartesian dualistic view of the universe within a lot of these old traditional systems um it's more of a i'd say it's more like a a gnosis system where everything is holy and it's permeating everything rather than we are in the physical and heaven is up there by allowing the energy to kind of flow through both currents so this kind of manifesting energy and this um elevating energy um we have this idea of the kind of presence and transcendence um so which is very similar to the kabbalistic idea of the lightning flash descending and the path of the serpent rising up the tree of life and um, if anyone's not sure what i'm talking about with that then please go back to the series we did on the kabbalistic tree of life um and you'll find some information on the the lightning flash and the path of the serpent so yes that's in the Kabbalah we have the idea of the lightning flash and the serpent rising um, and the two interlocking and a good symbol of this inter interlocking of spirit and matter is this symbol of the hexagram as well which we'll be talking about in a future episode where we have the twin triangles meeting in the center um, which is like the balancing point of both forces. The seven chakras that are most commonly used um, within or, or talked about in most systems are as follows. So we have the Sahasara, which is at the crown of the head or slightly above the head, which in the Kabbalah would, I would put as Keta. We have the Ajna, which is between the eyes or the forehead, slightly above the bridge of the nose, which people attribute to Hokma. If you if you are crossing over the systems, I don't hundred percent agree with doing that, but um, just to help people kind of understand what we're talking about, we have the vishudi, which is the throat or the base of the neck, um, which we could say would be kind of dart or potentially bina. The anahata, which is the centre of the chest, um, again we could say tifret, but I, I think it's also kind of gebur and kesed. The manipura which is the solar plexus or the abdomen, which would be hot and net sack. Svadhisthana, which is the genitals and um, you know that kind of region, which would be obviously yesod, and that kind of fits quite well. And then the muladhara, which is the base of the spine, which we would also say is kind of malkut, although with the Western tradition, we normally would visualize malkut as being at the feet. So, um, yeah, it's slightly lower down. The... Yeah, so the chakras, you know, they're, they're obviously these energy centers, these places of divine energy, but also, you know, we can talk about them as being levels of reality in themselves. This is expressed really well in the following quote from the Shiva Sanhita, which describes the chakras as both modulating the energy of the universe, but also as a way of returning and discovering our true nature, which is what we were talking about with the serpent and the sword and the lightning flash. 
And I quote, In this body, the Mount Meru, the vertebral column, is surrounded by seven islands. There are rivers, seas, mountains, fields, and lords of the fields too. There are in it seers and sages, all the stars and planets as well. There are sacred pilgrimages, shrines, and presiding deities of the shrines. The sun and moon, agents of creation and destruction, also move in it. Ether, air, fire, water and earth are also there. All the beings exist in the three worlds are also to be found in the body. Surrounding the Meru, they are engaged in their respective functions. He who knows all this is Yogi. There is no doubt about it. That's chapter 2 uh, from the Shiva Samhita. So what we see is described there is this process or presence within the microcosm of the physical and this kind of imaginal body or perfect mirror of the physical and the and the kind of heavenly macrocosm in astrology um and we'll talk about this in a future episode but um you have this idea of the planets kind of projecting their power and reflecting and concentrating it the energies of the sun into the human being and the chakras from that quote sound like they work very similar from that perspective in the sense that they are kind of focal points of these universal energies within the being um, of the person um, that kind of throw certain aspects of our personality into light provide help provide guidance etc the sufi mystic mansur al-khalaj um writes about the process of kind of ascending through these different planes of existence or consciousness um, when he shares a story illustrating the process of magical attainment from seeing God in a reflection or a black mirror to actually becoming God. And he says the following, The moth flies about the flame until morning, then he returns to his fellows and tells them of his spiritual state with the most eloquent expressions. Then he mixes with the coquetry of the flame in his desire to reach perfect union. The light of the flame is the knowledge of reality. Its heat is the reality of reality and union with it is the truth of reality. He was not satisfied with its light, nor with its heat, so he leapt into it completely. Meanwhile, his fellows were awaiting his coming, so that he could tell them of his actual vision, since he had not been satisfied with hearsay. But at that moment, he was being utterly consumed, reduced and dispersed into fragments. And then he remained without form or body or distinguishing mark. Then in what sense can he return to his fellows? And in what state now that he has obtained union? He who had arrived at the vision 
became able to dispense with reports. He who arrives at the vision is no longer concerned with the vision. And that's from the Tarsin of Understanding, which is the Tarsin of Mansur al-Khalaj, the great Sufic text on the unity of reality, which was translated by Aisha Ab Haraman at um, which is D1 Press Barclay, 1974. Um, there's a deeper doctrine with that particular quote because um, what he's talking about is this subtle energy of the body, but also in the sense it represents the light of the flame that the moth is designed to join with. This is the divine energy or the Shakti or the cosmic universe, the patterns and dynamics of that field of forces is essentially mirrored within the personal microcosm and they're magically linked so therefore one can affect the other um so therefore in the terms of that story obviously the moth is drawn to the flame but then it becomes the flame and in the same sense we have this flame within us that we are drawn to we ignore it most of the time um, but yeah we are drawn to that flame and we want to be part of that flame but at the same time there's this concept that if you go into the flame that is the disillusion of of consciousness almost so it's like you becoming the flame but the flame is becoming you um, uh, so it's one of these kind of magical paradoxes similar to the concept of the Ouroboros and, and that type of thing where you know, it, the, it, there is no ending. It's an infinite cycle of expansion and contraction, expansion and contraction, expansion and contraction. An essential part of magical training is the opening and development of the energy centers in the body that link the powers of our human small microcosm to the sources and this archetypal energy that they represent and they also act as connections through which current is drawn both in ritual but also in other kinds of magical work magic is built on the energy of the universe and as magicians we see the universe as being made up of energy but vibrating at a very high extreme rate. If we build up the energy within ourselves, in our being, through meditation, through energy work, through ceremonial ritual, through prayer, then we can say that we are increasing our personal vibration and therefore become more aligned and harmonious with the universe around us we are becoming more like the divine creator or the source of the energy of the universe these centers are naturally strengthened by magical work however we can also strengthen them with committed focus and i will be going into much more detail in the next few episodes on this on both on some of the history and the development of the ideas of the chakras and the and the middle pillar and the tree of life 
and also some more practical tips as well. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Occult London podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed it. If anyone has any questions for me, then please reach out via Facebook or on email as I'd love to answer any questions. My email is occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. We really want to develop this podcast further, so we'd really appreciate it if you rate the show or leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you are on as this will really help people to see it and get some more value out of it and I'll continue to make some really good episodes, get some really cool guests on and hopefully at some point also organise some events in London for people that are based over here. Please make sure to visit our website at www.occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show as well. Thanks, everybody, and goodbye.